Our Old Testament passage today picks up in the book of Judges, chapter 10, verse 1. After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. He lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. After him wrote Jaar the Gileonite, who judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on donkeys, and they had 30 cities called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Kamon. The, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashereth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the god of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Notice again, when the judges died, the people turned to their demon gods. It's you know, they, they just don't turn to sin, okay? Not, not just turn to sin. They turn to demon gods. Now, one of the things I've learned in my short life is when people of God turn away from God, they don't just go like the world. They go way below the world. I've, I've watched preachers. When they turn away from God, they go deeper into sin and deeper in demonic work than even an unsaved person would ever go. There's something about the people of God, maybe because they're, they're used to a presence, they're, they're used to the supernatural, that they're not just willing to walk away from all supernatural. They'll turn away from God, but they turn to the demonic. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Amorites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. Crushed and oppressed. That's strong words. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Wow. So first they were on one side of the Jordan, and now they cross over. They took that two and a half tribe area, and now they cross over where the other tribes are. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you. Wow. They cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient. <laughs> oh, I love that. He became impatient over the misery of Israel. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, here they came and they asked. Here they cried out to the Lord and they said, we have sinned against you. But now, 
true repentance. Now we have true repentance. They put away the foreign gods and serve God. So again, it's not just not just talk. Not just talk. You see, there's a lot of Christians who do the same thing today. They get in trouble and say, oh, God, save me. Please forgive me. But God said, where's the real repentance? When they put away the foreign gods and they began to again serve God, God became impatient over their misery. Did you hear that? God doesn't get impatient with you. He gets impatient over the misery that you're going through. Now, you, you just need to sit down and meditate on that for a while today. God grows impatient with the suffering that you are going through. Even though you deserve it, you made the choices that got you there. God grows impatient with the suffering. Wow. Then the Ammonites were called to arms and they camped at Gilead and the people of Israel came together and they camped at Mitzvah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Judges, chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jethath, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. But he was the son of a prostitute, okay? So he is... He is the, he's a guy who grew up without a family, okay? <laughs> he's a guy who grew up without a family. Now, he has a father, but his mother's a prostitute, so he is the son of a number two. Now, I don't bring this out to be cruel. I bring this out to give hope. Some of you young people, you grew up the son of a number two, the daughter of a number two, and you wonder will God ever use me with all the, all the embarrassment that you have faced in society? This is your story. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his sons grew up, they drove Jetheth out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jetheth fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jetheth and went out to him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jetheth from the land of Tob. And they said to Jetheth, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. And Jetheth said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jetheth, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jetheth said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jetheth, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So they have an agreement, okay? They have a contract, a verbal contract, but a contract. And Jetheth went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jetheth spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzvah. 
And Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me, that you come to, come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land, from the Arnon to Jabuk and to the Jordan, now therefore restored peaceably. Now, this is hundreds of years ago. Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to them, Thus said Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. Remember, think with me in those readings back in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers. The land of Moab and the land of the Ammonites, this was land that God had given to the sons of Lot. And God told the people of Israel they were not to take that land. But when they came up from Egypt, Egypt went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they also sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter the, the territory of Moab, for Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said, please let us pass through your land to our country. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from Arnon to Jabbok and from the wilderness to Jordan. So then the God of Israel dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you? And all the Lord our God has exposed before us? We will possess. Now, notice, Chemosh is the God of the sons of Lot. They are not serving the true God. But I want you to notice something really, really clear here. And the story continues. I want you to notice a guy came out with a political argument. Here is a political story. But the political story is not true. It's just not true. And so before they go to war, Jephthah says, no, I know the history of my nation. And I know the history of what happened. What you're saying is not true. This is what really happened. So here's, here's a truth that you need to understand. Know your history. Because people will twist. People will twist to justify wrong actions. Now, are you better than Balak, the son of Ziphor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel or go, ever go to war with him? Well, Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and in Eror with its villages and in all the cities that are in the banks of Arnon 300 years. Why did you never deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you and you do me wrong by making war on me. So you're the one who's in the wrong here. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. 
But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words that Jetheth said to him. Then the spirit of the Lord, wow, there's one of those powerful passages. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jetheth, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mitzvah of Gilead. And from Mitzvah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jetheth made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's, and I shall offer it up as a burnt offering. Now, notice, whatever. Remember, in their days, the animals shared the house. Okay, now I know that sounds weird, but the animals, animals shared the house. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Ayr to the neighborhood of Mithith, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Keramim with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jetheth came to his home in Mitzvah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him. That's not a what, that's a who. With tambourines and dances. This was tradition. This is how women greeted the men as they returned from battle and victory. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. As soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me, for I opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. And he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. At the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. And she, she had never known a man and it became a custom in, in Israel that when the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jetheth, the Gileanite, four days in a year. Now, I want you to back up and notice exactly what the vow is. Let's back up and find the passage. Where did it go? Whatever comes out of my door shall be the Lord's, and I shall offer it up as a burnt offering. Now, there are many people who would like to take that and go, okay, Jetheth burned his daughter as a human sacrifice. But that's not true. She will belong to the Lord. Now, there was no way for a bull to belong to the Lord. But under Jewish tradition, a woman could be offered to the Lord and she would remain a virgin for the rest of her life. That's why she wanted to reap for, weep for her virginity. She would never bear children. She would never be married. She would literally live a celibate life in the temple, similar to the prophetess Anna, who lived all those years celibate after the death of her husband, just serving in the temple. She would have served in the temple all of those years as a gift to the Lord. She had to participate in the keeping of her father's vow, but she did so, but she was not a human sacrifice. 
She served as a servant in the temple of the Lord. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Second Corinthians, one Corinthians says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yet in Christ. And so the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Our New Testament passage today picks up in one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Probably the most quoted scripture in the Bible is here, John 3, verse 16. So let's pick up with John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. So remember, Pharisees, he is one of the super conservative fundamentalists. He believes in the resurrection. Uh, he believes in the coming Messiah. He believes in angels. He believes in miracles. Okay, he's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler 
of the Jews. So he's one of the top leaders, member of the Sanhedrin court. This man came to Jesus by night. Now, this is dangerous. This is after curfew. Now, in most of the Roman world, there were curfews after dark, and people were not allowed to move around after dark. In fact, they did have laws. For instance, we always teach you about the illegal trial. They were not allowed to have any meetings after dark. Okay, the, So when the Sanhedrin met illegally at Caiaphas' house after the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was an illegal trial. They had to meet again early the next morning for it to be valid. So this is after curfew. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know. Now notice, not just me, we. We. So he's a ruler of the Jews. So he is speaking as a member of the Sanhedrin. We know. He said, you know what? We've been talking about this in the, in the, the top leadership. We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He said, we know this. So, all right, so there were things, even Jewish leadership acknowledged privately. Sometimes I write and it writes, and sometimes I write and it erases. Sorry about that. Jesus answered him, truly, I truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See here means to understand, to perceive, to comprehend, to understand, to perceive, to comprehend. Nicodemus said to them, how can a man be born when he's old? And remember, he, he's probably quite old himself. So now, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, how can a full-grown big man climb back up inside that little womb of his mother? When he came out, he was, you know, what, 12 inches long, 14 inches long. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So born of the water, that would be the woman born of the Spirit, that's salvation. So, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of the water and born of the Spirit. This is one of the reasons demons can't be saved. They're not born of the water. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. All right, so born of the water, that's another way of saying flesh. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. This is, this is a must. This is a necessity, all right? Salvation requires new birth. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. <laughs> now, I got to leave that alone because that's a huge sermon in itself. Nicodemus said to them, how can these things be? Now, this is a man who really wants to learn. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, now notice that there are there are degrees of teaching or truth. He said, if I can't teach you about earthly things and you believe, how can you believe when I teach you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In other words, the people of Israel had to look to the snake in the wilderness to be healed, so you have to look to Jesus to be saved. For whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I had to be careful not to preach my way through this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So there's no condemnation in Christ. The, the purpose of Jesus' coming was not condemnation, it was salvation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, this is the truth people have to get a hold of. People come to me and they say, Pastor, if God is good and God is love, why would God send people to hell? I say, God's not sending anybody to hell. They're already on their way to hell. That was, that was their choice. That was man's choice with Adam. God's not sending anybody to hell. That's, that's man's choice. God is offering the alternative because he's good. Did you understand what I just said? God's not sending anybody to hell. They stand condemned already. God sent his son to make the way of escape that we can go to heaven and be forgiven. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Now, this is one of the things you're going to have to get a hold of. People don't want to hear the truth because of their lifestyle. Okay? Lifestyle. Hey. Lifestyle affects... what you want to hear. If, if you love darkness, if you love sin, you love getting drunk, you love sexual immorality, you love your drugs, you love corruption, if you love it, you're not going to want to hear truth. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. See, this is the reason lifestyle affects what you want to hear. Some people say, why won't my unsaved relative come to church? Well, as long as they do wicked things and as long as they love their wickedness, they're never going to want to come to where there's light. But there's going to come a day when God touches their heart and they're going to realize, I shouldn't be loving this lifestyle. Then they come to the light. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, he's really getting after these guys. 
because Nicodemus and this whole group, remember, he's, he's speaking as one of them. Rabbi, we know. He said, the reason, Jesus is saying, the reason you guys don't want to come hang out with me, the reason you guys don't want to come and learn from me is because of your sinful lifestyles. Now, now that's, you want to boil it down. That's what Jesus is getting down to in these last few verses. He said, the reason you guys, the reason the, the Sanhedrin court, the high priestly family, the reason they didn't want to come hang out with Jesus and learn from him, because he is the light, is because their deeds were evil and because they loved that sin. Now, that's the reason they stayed away. People always ask me, Pastor Summer, why didn't the high priest come and have lunch with Jesus? Why, why didn't these people come and try to build a relationship with Jesus? Because their deeds were evil. You see, people, when they know they're in sin, they don't want to be with the light. Something to think about. Now, let's pick up a little bit of Proverbs for some more to think about today. All right, here we go. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. So notice, the mighty and the wise. Who wins? Who wins, the wise or the mighty? The wise. Wisdom is greater than strength. You need to remember that. You know, some of you young businessmen, you, you look at the, the financial power and might of some of the competition that you're up against, and you go, how can I possibly defeat these people? They have so much more money than me. Wisdom. How can I possibly grow my business when I'm facing this juggernaut of a multinational? Wisdom. Who wins? The one with wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? God. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, I like the NLT. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, and you'll stay out of trouble. <laughs> keep your mouth shut, and you'll stay out of trouble. I like that. You want to stay out of trouble? Shut up. <laughs> okay. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Now look at NLT. Mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. Have you ever noticed that mockers, scoffers, whichever word you want to use, have you ever noticed how arrogant they, they are? They have no respect for anybody. You know, you, you see a young man who's a mocker. He has no respect for, for people that are older than him. He has no respect for the lolos and the lolas. He has no respect for seniors. He has no respect. He, he's just loud and arrogant. <laughs> now, verse 25 and 26 really tie together. The desire of the sluggard kills him. Right? The desires of a lazy man are what destroy him because his hands refuse to work. All right, so desire without work is destructive. Desire without, without work, it's always destructive. And it will kill you, okay? It, it will completely destroy everything. You'll go into debt. You'll go out and do things. You'll be corrupt. All kinds of things simply because you have desires, but you're lazy. Now, I've met a lot of people in life, and this is their path. This is what I call a path to corruption. Their path to corruption is laziness. That's their path to corruption. They have a desire, but they won't work. All day long, he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. 
all day long he craves and he craves. You know, a lazy person, forgive me, sits around all day long looking at Shopee. A lazy person sits around all day long looking at things to buy on the internet. These are the big internet shoppers. These are the big internet shoppers, okay? <laughs> they're, they're on Shopee. They're on Amazon. They're on whatever the shopping network. They crave and crave. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want this. Oh, I want that. But they won't work. Now, the heart of a righteous person is a giver. The heart of a righteous is a giver. The heart of a lazy person I don't know if it's a word, a desirer, okay? If the heart of a righteous is a giver, the heart of the lazy is a desirer. They always are craving something. They always want something, but they're not willing to work for it. Wow. Now that, that'll get your attention today. Brothers and sisters, God will bless the work of your hands. Yes, there are people who have taken the doctrines of prosperity and distorted them about, you give me an offering and God will make you rich. That's not the doctrines of prosperity. That's, that's weird stuff, okay? Don't pay attention to that stuff. But you have to understand. Yes, there are people who will teach silliness like that. But bottom line, true prosperity requires a giving heart and it requires hard work. God blesses the work of our hands. Not, not the, the desires that we have. He blesses the work of our hands. If you want something, work for it and watch God bless the work of your hands. Amen? All right. I'm going to stop there today. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into Romans 13, learning to be submissive in our hearts toward governing authorities. We'll see you then.